This is Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From the UK, I'm Dave Knott, and joining me from New Zealand is Dave Wood. How are you doing? All right, yeah. Uh, having just said I was ready whenever you were, it turns out I really wasn't. <laughs> it's so confusing because I'm, I'm sat here um, at where my iMac is, but I've got my MacBook kind of set up to one side and I'm recording off of that. Okay. And then when you phoned, I grabbed hold of the trackpad and keyboard that's paired with my iMac and started trying to answer the MacBook with them. But of course, they're not paired to it. And I was like, oh. <laughs> oh no. One second. I'm just checking something out. So I'm just turning my Wi Fi off. I should be on network. So sure. yeah, I've got a, uh, a USB network adapter here. So I'm, I'm kind of just taking to wiring straight into the router now. So what, what MacBook are you using to record on your work one or your personal one? My personal one. Does that not have Ethernet on it? No. No, but it does have a, a proper USB port, so like a, <laughs> an old USB port, not USB-C. <laughs> <laughs> I've been really conscious, actually, about everything I've been plugging in recently. Yeah. Just like the last week or so. And the only thing I've got is this audio interface, so I think I'm, I'll just get a a cable and I should be okay like a, a USB to is it USB-B whatever it is like the printer lead style USB yeah the, the, the fat sort of square shaped connection yeah yeah I'll just get one of those and then I think that should be all my problems solved awesome <laughs> until I need like an Ethernet adapter or, or something but yeah uh, if you hit that moment then you just invest in a decent hub well I've been looking at 4K monitors because um, there's some LG ones that uh, have like USB-C connections, so that'll do the power and the video, right? And all the data that makes the monitor act like a hub for you as well. So the monitor will have uh, like an Ethernet port in the back, oh, brilliant, and, a yeah. USB, and, and a load of USB A's. So oh, the monitor cool. is the hub. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. And it's just one cable to connect. Yeah, you else data, data, video, and power over one cable. Yeah, you know, I kind of think that that's probably the. I've done it again. I'm trying to move my trackpad on my iMac, and it's not on. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the uh, the vision. I reckon that Apple must have had in mind when they when they went down this road. They wouldn't have just done it to annoy everybody, just in the name of someday. Hopefully, there'll be progress. I kind of think that's what they had in mind, really. Yeah, yeah. It's the uh, your your monitor represents a fixed space. So if everything's hanging off of that, and then you just hook the laptop into that well that that makes a lot of sense mm. i'm really looking forward to actually getting back to that setup actually it struck me actually how long it's been since i've had the imac because i still consider it to be and i still probably refer to it on this show as my new imac on occasion and it's yeah. it'll be five years old in october wow that, that like completely threw me yesterday when when i thought about that because i was like negotiating prices with this guy who's coming to buy it and I was like pushing for the higher price. And he did come back and said, you realise it is a five-year-old Mac you're selling to me, right? And I was like, oh, crikey, it is actually, isn't it? <laughs> I like, wow, I was thinking like maybe three, four, but like not five nearly. That soon, soon flies by. Yeah, and then that got me thinking actually, like would, would I want to buy what I'm selling? I probably would For that wouldn't. price, yeah. For that price at that age that, you know, it's well out of sight of any warranty. And, you know, you could, drop that all that money on it and it could just go pop yeah and it's a bit of a gamble costs. it is a gamble yeah um i guess what i've got in my favor i mean like some someone who ended up 
we didn't go any further in talking about buying it, but he made me a really low ball offer and I said, yeah, no chance. Um, I'd need more than that. And he made the point of, oh, well, you can get a brand new one on eBay for, I was like 1800 or 1700 And yeah, the, the thing is that those are like, you know, they're i5s and, you know, eight gigs of RAM kind of thing where I guess my comeback is, well, this is a, this was a build to order. So it was a four gigahertz quad core. It's got the 512 SSD, like pure SSD, not a fusion drive. And yep. I've also packed it full of 32 gig of RAM. So I guess that's potentially the selling point to someone that, you know, A, they're spending a lot less than they would for a base model new one and they're getting quite a high spec one. Um, I mean, yeah. it's only it's only this year in the benchmarks for the 2018 MacBook Pros since they went to six core that they've managed to pull away from it in terms of the numbers they get on like Geekbench and stuff. So right. it's held its own pretty well, really, against the latest and greatest in MacBook Pros for, well, until till June last year. Right. Yeah, because you were sort of waiting for that that kind of break so that you knew you were going to get like a speed bump by getting a, a MacBook, right? Yeah, and single core is basically identical if you look at Geekbench. Right. Um, so it's only when you go to multi-core that you start to see, see see it pull away. And that is obviously because it's got six cores versus, versus four. Yeah. So I think... It goes from 16,000 that my iMac gets in multi-core, and then the base model 15-inch gets something like 21,000, 22,000. Right. So that's a significant jump, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And you should feel that, certainly, in like things like compilation times and stuff like that. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of the beauty of like what we do with Xcode and stuff, is that it, that is just like a short burst of power as well. That's not like... I'm doing a final cut export and it's going to take me 38 minutes versus 43 minutes in the 2017 model or something. Yeah. And for 38 minutes, that CPU is like pegging and it's going to be probably thermal throttling and, and all sorts. Of, I can't imagine I'm going to feel a huge amount of that given what I do with it. Yeah, it'll be short bursts of hitting run. And uh, I mean, until, you know, you've got a project that is uh, large enough to sort of sit there and take forever to compile, then you're going to see it just be that bit more instantaneous, I guess, in terms of it getting onto your device to, to sort of test. I was just saying, and, and things like um, like forecast that we do once a week for, for this, um, you know, making encoding the MP3, uh, the, the difference between my iMac and my old MacBook is, is insane. I mean, the iMac feels relatively quick, and then my MacBook Pro, which is a, an old dual-core dual i7, yeah, it seems to take forever. So again, you'd hope that, because forecast utilizes all the any calls you can throw at it. Hopefully, that would you know make it a little bit smoother in that regard there as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So yeah, just a just a case of waiting for all the stars to align at the minute with the MacBook. Um, waiting for the retailers, the third party retailers, to drop it in price again. Because I don't think we talked about it on the show, did we last week? No. Essentially, it looks like anyone that isn't Apple in the UK, at least, it looks like. Um, any you know, any third party retailer price matches against Amazon, right? So Amazon had it at two thousand and fifty five for the base model fifteen inch. Then all the other retailers also had it at like either two thousand fifty five or two thousand fifty six, near enough basically. And Amazon pulled it from stock, which was a bit weird. And when you looked on their their product page for the MacBook, it said something like, "We've had reports from our customers that." 
items being delivered aren't as described. And I thought, okay, that's a bit odd. Initially, I thought, oh, maybe it's gone out of stock because there's something new coming. That's, that's kind of where yeah. my uh, Apple sort of enthusiast brain went. And uh, so obviously in the meantime, all the third-party retailers that aren't Amazon um, have taken the opportunity that as Apple are out of stock on that, not Apple, as Amazon are out of stock on that model, they'll put the prices back up to Apple's list price, which is 2 three fifty. Yep. Which obviously makes it a lot less appealing at that price, yeah, <laughs> as so you can it, appreciate. It's this um, whole game of cat and mouse between them all. Yeah, it's really, really weird. And the last couple of days, Amazon have taken it back into stock. And thankfully, they've taken it back into stock at the lower price I had it at. So still Amazon are doing it for 2055 um, And then all the other third-party retailers should hopefully follow suit. Um because you know, one of which has got a fairly significant trade-in offer that I could um, trade in my old MacBook for, as well as selling my iMac. So that will bring down the cost even further. So it's a case of just waiting for all the stars to align. And maybe when they do, sort of when all the hoops align, sort of jump through them all at once and get a decent deal on a, on a MacBook. Um, in the short awesome. term, that will mean selling the iMac potentially this weekend or in the next two or three days if uh, this guy I'm dealing with pulls his finger out and actually comes and gets it. Um, which means I'll be back on the old MacBook again. <laughs> it's like my permanent machine. <laughs> <laughs> the, the nearly 10-year-old MacBook still going strong. Um, Trusty old faithful. <laughs> well, I'm recording on it now because obviously I've wiped the iMac sort yeah. of prior to it being sold. And, I, you know, I'm just, I've made a rule that I'm just not going to use it now because if I start using it, I'll have to wipe it again, and so I'm, I'm, it's just going to sit there now until it's sold. Yep. So, yeah. I, I said, I sent you last night on, on Slack, I think, that part of me wants all of this to fall through. Just so that you can kind of wait for the next model? Well, yeah, because I feel like when all these stars align... That is going to be a significant saving off of a MacBook Pro. Like hundreds of pounds I'm potentially going to get off if I can line up the trade-in offer and I can line up them dropping the price to match Amazon. And I I, I can't turn my nose up at that. Like, yes, I'd probably like to wait for a 20, 2019 model and see what they do, especially if, you know, maybe they're going to do something a bit different this year. Um, because obviously the machines have been quite polarizing and taken a lot of criticism, so maybe they'll do a refresh as this is like year three. Yeah. Maybe that's wishful thinking. I don't know. Um, in any case, yeah, I kind of thought, well, actually, if, you know, the prices don't get dropped down and it just doesn't work out and the iMac doesn't sell, that's kind of okay because I can sit tight then for the, for, you know, what is the 2019 model? It costs yeah. me a lot more. Obviously, when they when the 2019 model does drop, I'll be paying full list price for it. But in a way, that is kind of still quite appealing. As daft as that sounds, I mean, we're talking hundreds of pounds off at the moment. If if I can get get everything to line up, yeah, and um, if I start to get sad when the 2019 model drops, I'll have to remind myself, look, buddy, you saved all this money, so shut up, kind of thing. If you're actually looking at getting a monitor as well, or getting a monitor sort of fairly soon afterwards, mm-hmm. then I think you have to reason that this this is cash back towards that part of the setup. Yeah. Yeah, that has that thought has crossed my mind. Basically, what I would be saving would pay for the monitor comfortably and possibly. <laughs> Still have change. 
Well, and possibly enough for a pair of those new um, Sony noise-cancelling headphones that um, have just come out, the version 3 of them, which look amazing. Um, so, yeah, there, there's, there's many lenses to look, look through this at. And, yeah, at the minute, I'm just sitting tight, basically. Hopefully I can sell the iMac in the next couple of days and have a pile of money there to just either go for a... a quite heavily discounted 2018 model or sit tight when the 2019 model does drop just you know go bang and buy it which would be quite a nice feeling in itself because like i said a couple of shows ago i've never done that i've never actually been there on day one or hit pre-order at midnight or whatever on something new like that so that'd be quite cool yeah me either really not for a mac anyway yeah i mean normally when i when i see the one i want i'm like right now i need to save up all the money because they're so expensive but yeah obviously having had like a bit of a clear out and selling loads of stuff um and obviously the iMac as well that's going to be the biggest chunk of that sort of pie chart for the for the for the money <laughs> so sell the <laughs> iMac is probably the biggest chunk um yeah then i'll be hopefully good to go so this t- this time next week <laughs> could be on a 2018 macbook pro we just just don't know really so i sorted out a, an ongoing problem at home today and that's been our Wi-Fi. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so our Wi-Fi has been a problem ugh, since, since we moved in to this house, really. So I've tried getting... I bought a couple of different routers uh, to just try to not use the one the ISP has given us. Uh, but equally, I've not necessarily had the budget to just sort of go, right, I'm going to buy the best router possible and just solve the problem with money. You know, the the ones I've got are, uh, they're decent, but they're like f- maybe four or five years ago decent right. rather than now. Um, there's something I picked up from Cash Converters, uh, a Netgear. I don't know what the model is. doesn't really matter. Um, it, it does wireless N. Uh, it's decent enough, but it doesn't have the range for the opposite side of the house. And the opposite side of the house is where the living room is. So, so that's probably where the Wi-Fi is actually most useful. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So we end up with a situation where it's great for me on this side of the house where I sit in my, my little study room and we record. Mostly great for me. Uh, but then everybody on the other side of the house suffers and it's an absolute pain. So, I mean, what really tends to happen is that we get um, like drop-ins and drop-outs of um, different devices getting knocked off the network. Uh, which kind of speaks to it being more about the the router as well. So that was on the the ISP's router, which just about has the range, but it doesn't seem to keep it for very long. And then the other one doesn't have the range, but is better. And then I have a an aging, um, what do you call it, Airport Extreme. Oh yeah, that I picked up secondhand as well. So and that's a really lovely router, but again, it doesn't have the right range. So long story short, the solution for this for me has been to plug the uh, the Netgear one in this side of the house to then run um, a power line based extender to the other side of the house. So that's um, it uses the power line as a Ethernet cable, essentially creates a network over the power line. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's wired straight into the router in this room. And then on the other side of the house, the airport extreme is wired. and that's that's picking it up the the signal from the power line and so then that's operating a second wi-fi network that's bridged through this one 
And so far, so good. So you've got two SSIDs in the house. Is that Would that be right? It is, yeah. I've not really done, done anything special to try and sort of share the same SSID. Yeah, we're in a similar situation here, actually, because we were with BT um, for our broadband. And obviously they send you through, I think they call it their home hub or yeah, basically their, their router that they provide. Yeah. Um, and then our contract with them ended and we moved to a, a different company. But it turned out they're also owned by BT. Um, okay. So they sent, they sent through another home hub. <laughs> <laughs> But not in not in like the Home Hub's branding. It's almost like if you were to take off the clothes of the Home Hub with all their like funky plastics and LEDs that sort of glow and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, it's just like a really bare bones version of it, but it is still the same hardware. Right. So essentially we've got two Home Hubs in the house and I've done it essentially the same as you. Um, we've got one Home Hub in place where the sort of internet comes out of the wall in the house and that kind of does one area of the house and... In the other side of the house, I've kind of, over the course of us being here, I've I've basically ran Cat 6 to more or less everywhere now, sort of buried it in the walls and through the floorboards, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So much the same as you, really, except rather than using the power line adapters, I've uh, migrated it all over to Cat 6. I was using power line adapters at one point. Right. Um, and yeah, and then we got the second home hub serving the other portion of the house, just so you get stronger signal throughout. But... I don't know if you found this yet, if you've only had it, what, like a, a day so far? Yeah. Yeah, not really had much chance yet to put it through its bases. <laughs> yeah, the issue I have is that it connects to the SSID that you wish it wouldn't. So I'll be in the kitchen where the the, the strongest home hub is in the same room as me, but it will still be hanging on for dear life to, for connection to the old one, to the other one in the other room. Um, so that that can be a little bit frustrating at times but I, I think it's essentially the the best solution you're going to get for min, minimal investment really because yeah. essentially in my case i'm using kit that my isp has provided so that's sort of free i know i've paid for it somewhere along the line through my sort of monthly payments but it's not like i've gone out and had to drop 200 pounds on a new router yeah um so yeah the other thing i've been toying with and no doubt you've thought about it as well is mesh networking um, yes that, that's yeah. that's kind of the dream really i think i've had to just rule that out at the moment for cost yeah uh, same it's yeah the entry into that is just too much for me right now so yeah it's definitely the dream i guess to to have just you know just pop another one on the uh the mesh network and kind of try and just spread that through the house and that, that's it job done yeah you've got to be careful what you buy though um I was looking at various different ones. There's ones Netgear do one called the Orbi, right? And the router, the, you know, the, the routers themselves. Well, they're not routers, are they? If they're like multiples of them, but you know the the wireless nodes that they provide you in their pack, like a two pack or a three pack, um, are really quite big. And the the thing for me is, or the important thing for me is how the the backhaul is managed. Yeah. So just to explain what the backhaul is i guess the backhaul is is essentially the network that the the uh the multiple wireless nodes form between themselves yeah so they have their own sort of network going on for them to communicate and to essentially create that mesh effect and then there's the second network which is what we connect our devices to and the netgear ones um it's quite important for me that I, I thought, well, I've gone to all this effort of running Cat 6 throughout my house. 
it would be quite nice if the backhaul could be done over the Ethernet. Yep. Because if you're separating the the nodes by quite some distance and maybe you've got two or three walls in between, that backhaul between it, if it's doing that wirelessly, is going to be affected. Um, yeah, it will be. So I thought, well, brilliant, I'll just use, use the Ethernet because then it's like pure speed all the way through then, isn't it? It's like as... As good as you're going to get. As it was intended kind of thing. Um, yeah. But it turns out the Netgears can't do the backhaul over Ethernet. So I was like, right, that rules those out. Then I looked at Linksys. They do a range called Develop. They've recently done a, brought out a new, more affordable one. Again, it was a price that scared me off. I think it was going to cost like £450 to do like the house in it. I was like, wow, that's like that's way too much for like yeah. just wireless internet. The good news is though, they can use the Ethernet to do the backhaul. If you plug an Ethernet in, it will prioritise that over the wireless backhaul. So that's that's cool. But again, the price scared me off. But then I think it was August or September last year, they came out with a, a more affordable version. So rather than having the original ones, which were tri-band, I think, uh, they made a more affordable dual-band product. Slightly right. smaller in size, but more or less identical other than the fact they're dual-band rather than tri-band. And I think that just basically means... I mean, I'm no network engineer, so don't quote me on this, but I think the difference between dual band and tri-band is that if you have a tri-band one, it can effectively, it, it's better at having more devices connected to it at once. So if you've got like iPhones, iPads, MacBooks, all trying to connect to the one thing at once, it can more adequately serve all of those on a tri-band versus dual band. But when I take into account the devices we've got, um, any one node that we have is likely to maybe get a couple of phones and maybe a laptop connected to it. So... I think the dual band would probably be fine. But they're much more affordable. You're looking at more like £200 for a three-pack. So you could blanket your house comfortably with that. Um, so I think that's probably where I'm going to go next. I, w- I would suggest Eero, but obviously they've just been bought by Amazon. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I saw that. That's uh, a shame, I think, in some ways. Uh, <laughs> yeah, flipping is a shame. <laughs> I say that quite judgmentally, I guess, but I'm I'm not a fan of, of uh, Amazon services, as it were. Like, I mean, really, really handy for shopping and all of that side of stuff but i don't want them handling my data and my network connection yeah uh, that's just just how i feel and and actually i feel the same about google as well you know i'm not not actually interested in uh, google's mesh networking products or, or anything they've got there for the same sort of reasons um what i like and get out of using google services i, I like to be quite um kind of compartmentalized really yeah i mean i i feel I- I feel uncomfortable using Google to the extent that I already do, and that's just basically Gmail. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I definitely don't want it to be the sort of first line of attack against my my network, certainly. No. no just, just not what I want or what I need, really. And I don't know. I kind of want a product that I know is good for for what it is as well. I, I, like, I guess the ideal for me would be a... That um, would be like what Eero was just before Amazon bought them. I guess. Do you know it's it's its own thing, its own product, its own company, sort of thing. Yeah. Have you looked at Ubiquity? No. I think that's um, similar. It's it's certainly like more. Um, I haven't actually looked at it in depth, but from what I can gather from listening to other people, it's kind of more of a more of a hardcore version, sort of more off-putting to regular users but if you're a kind of a nerd it's probably just what you want um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, i think that was an ex-apple engineer that started it as well similar to eero was started by ex-apple engineers 
Um, right. Well, I think, after Apple stopped making their own. Not after. I think um, whoever left Apple to start Ubiquity, I think the story went something like, um, I think it was a he, he wanted to do something in the networking department and Apple weren't really down with what what his ideas were, so he left and started Ubiquity to do it. Right. Um, and I guess Eero maybe was started in the same kind of fashion. Because, yeah, I guess the being on the networking team at Apple when they were essentially winding down probably wasn't an awful lot of fun, like creatively fulfilling or, you know, satisfying in terms of it being a career at that point, I wouldn't have imagined. I guess so, it's probably just... clear to sort of see what, you know, time to sort of jump and, and try something new. I guess yeah. if you're at the top of your career, then you're going to see that. But yeah, I, I guess I don't blame the Eero guys for selling. I mean, they must have, they must well, have no. had a pretty nice, pretty nice payday, right? <laughs> <But> <laughs> Um, would I have done the same? Maybe. I, th- I don't know. I'd, I, it, yeah. it would have, I'd have spent days agonizing over it, no doubt. And probably the Euro lot did as well. I would have thought sure it's a decision did, yeah. of, that, of that size. It's a shame that Apple didn't step in, in a lot of ways. Uh, one thing I found as I've been sort of trying to set up my own stuff here, just messing around with the routers that we've got, the Apple one outclasses either of the other two just in terms of how you configure it and, and the um, the airport utility and how that talks to it and everything else. It it works really, really well to the point that I've actually, I'm actually thinking, well, if I can pick up another one of those secondhand, that can replace uh, the Netgear one on this side of the house. And then I've just got two aging Apple-based routers running my home <laughs> network. Um, just, I, I don't know, I... I like I say, the the setup of that, I'd never used one, you know, back when they were new. I only got this because I could I picked it up for like twenty bucks, which is like ten pounds. Um, just on the off chance, you know, it was at that price, I thought, well, it'll either do for some sort of project or it might actually solve my problems for now in terms of Wi Fi coverage. And it didn't solve the range, but it's been ideal for for this for now. Uh for, for just living out its life at the moment, serving the living room. And yeah, like I say, it's the first time I touched the, the, the that side of, of what Apple were producing, and it's great. So yeah, I can't feel like I kind of get it now, kind of understand why some people were absolutely adamant that they really wanted um, Apple routers. It's, uh, yeah, it feels like something's been lost. One, one, one thing that's kind of struck me when obviously this has been kind of bubbling up in our sort of tech sphere for the last week or so is the conversation around sort of updates to your router and, and security and things like that because you know you get you get a, a router through from your isp when you when you first sign up and you know you just basically stick it usually you know in a cupboard by the where it comes into the wall or on, on, a, on a small little table or something and, and there it sits for the rest of its life um yep and I've got no idea if our routers are getting updated with software patches and security fixes. Um, no, I, mean, I, I never reboot them. If unless the internet goes down, I, you know, I'll reboot it then. But nor do I ever really log into them to check if there's any kind of software update. I guess they're not auto updating. But it's just the mention of Eero Plus was it they called it, where you pay a yearly subscription and you, you know you get all the updates, you know, security patches, things like that, extra bells and whistles and it just made me stop and think actually it's like yeah this is like the the first line of defense really because that's that's where that's where yep. the internet basically hits your home isn't it is is that router exactly and, yeah 
there's so much importance tied up in in the software in those things because if you know if, if you get into that then potentially you've got the keys to the city so it just made me just gave me pause really to stop and i've never actually considered it like that until recently no, most people do operate as you were saying you know it's just kind of set it and forget it you've, you've plugged it in you've done what your isp has told you you're online that's it and you know the security update really is when you change isps and they send you a different router and you get rid of the old one yeah <laughs> as silly as it is you know that is how most people operate uh certainly from how i remember everything in the uk and certainly how it sort of seems to be set up here in new zealand unless you care unless you're a nerd and you care about having really good wi-fi then most people use the router that their isp has given them unless it's giving them some problems so yeah and all these devices are sitting there not getting updates really for the most part i think it's pretty easy to probably break into an awful lot of the standard routers that are given out by a lot of isps i I really just don't see i feel like that must be really quite likely because they're they're, they're mass produced and they're the cheapest you know whatever can can be sort of rolled out so it's a huge attack vector and it's like there's no real infrastructure to properly update them that's probably the the biggest issue as well um it's not like even if it's as simple as a little light would blink on the box to say there's an update available and there's a, a big update button on it next to that light. So, you know, you know when you see that button, that light come on, you have to press the button to update it. There's yep. nothing like that, is there? Um, not, nor is is there any real... Because, you know, try and, lo- try and tell someone that isn't into tech to log into a router and you say, right, you have to type in 192.168.1.254 <laughs> and then yep. there'll be an admin password on the back, which isn't the password you use to log into the Wi-Fi. That would be a separate password. And, and you just look at them and you can see they're just like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess with the Eero stuff, it's all mostly sort of app-based, I think. So you download an app to your iPhone and sort of admin everything from there, which right. is a bit a big step forward. But yeah, you, okay. like, you look at the look at the boxes that come through from ISPs and it's like, you just don't stand a chance really. If if, if like a BBC News story were to break, like my phone were to go, you know, beep, 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 like BBC News, you know, BT announces all of its home hubs have got this big vulnerability. It's like, well, most of those are going to stay with that vulnerability then probably, unless they post you out brand new ones to every single customer. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's, um, I think it's a bigger deal than a lot of people realise after a point. On the other hand, now that Eero are owned by Amazon, that is almost its own security flaw in itself, I would argue. Um, (laughs) I, I mean, I saw in their press release that I forget the exact wording, but it was like, we have no plans to change Eero's privacy policy at this time. Yeah. And it it was when they said at this time, I was like, right, okay, so that means you're probably going to, at some point, because Eero's privacy policy is obviously very good um, as it it stands at the moment, but now it's bought by Amazon. I mean, the the temptation for them to, you know, (laughs) to, to to get your data, and it maybe they do it through like, well, they'll probably have to do it through like genuine like opt-in ways, but it's just whether people will actually understand what it is they're opting into. No, um, no, and it's the sort of thing that will just happen slice by slice, piece by piece over the next few years. And then, you know, it, it becomes just the way that product works and the way that is. Uh, now would be the wrong time to say, oh, by the way, we're going to change everything over to this. You know, it'd be 
absolutely the wrong time to put something out that into into the press or even to try and do it. So of course they've got no plans to change it right now. They'll they'll change a little bit here, a little bit there, uh, a few updates later, and it'll be whatever whatever it'll be, I guess. But I imagine there'll be plenty in there that I would not be so happy with just by virtue of the way Amazon behave. Well, I mean, you look at what we've just spoken about. One of the problems that you know Router Router's face as a whole is the you know lack of updates and Eero have made some great strides i would say to try and address that um but i think you know they also have services i think it's called Eero plus where you know you you, you get all the advanced security features and stuff like that um it wouldn't surprise me seeing amazon do some kind of bargaining with the user to say hey you want all these great features for your um your, your routers or, you know your eros or whatever they're going to be end up being called down the road um click here to agree to join our research program and get free advanced security for your home network. Yep. I can see people signing up for that in a heartbeat. Or just rolling it into being part of Prime, for example. Possibly, yeah, yeah, that's another way. Um, but I, I could definitely see that if you were to you look at how sort of consumer-level antivirus works. It's it's You could kind of see people going for it thinking, yeah, I want the advanced security, I want to be safe, keep me safe online, keep my banking details secure if, if the the wording's right in the, in the pop-up. Hmm. Um, you know, join our research program and get all these benefits. We'll keep you safe, and then th- they can monitor your network traffic essentially. And that is quite terrifying <laughs> when, I, when I think of it like that. It's really not what I want. I mean, the relationship between me and my ISP is is clear, yeah. But the relationship between me and who has made my router is it's less clear. I just want them to give me a product that enables me to connect to the internet. You know, to to connect to the 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 pipe in the wall that is giving me connectivity and and to then pass that on to my devices in my house i don't really want any other type of relationship going on there yeah uh no so i kind of wish apple was still making them because as much as that you know means it's a relationship with apple the way those devices behave is is good it's a good quality product and to configure them is is dead easy and it looks like it essentially just does what it says on the tin, you know, that's, that's it. Yeah. And yeah, I, I really wish Apple were, were in the business. Okay, we'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes or if you could leave us a recommendation in Overcast by hitting that star button, that will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, also, we have our Slack channel. We'd love to invite you to join. Our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out. If you'd like to join, uh, just leave us a message on Twitter at WFR Podcast, and we'll get you signed up. So, Dave, before we run off, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DW Roboheads. That's Roboheads spelt with a Z. And you can find my apps at Roboheads.com. Again, that's Roboheads spelt with a Z. How about you, Dave? You can follow me online at davenot.co.uk or on Twitter, I'm at underscore Dave Knott.